Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. How's it looking, Ryan Huang? All right, looking pretty good, Michelle. I want to say hi to our listener, Lisha. I met her yesterday in sort of fitness space and she says she listens to us in the morning. She oh, asks how fantastic. you are. Fantastic. Um, hello, Lisha. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> really, really nice to hear. It is F1 week here in Singapore with big conventions and high-profile conferences. I'll be at the Milken Institute's Asia Summit this afternoon to speak with leaders about the future of travel. What a great topic. I'm so excited. And speaking of travel, it appears there are more people in town this year uh, for F1, even if attendance numbers for the Grand Prix are expected to be a bit lower than last year. Uh, the increase in tourist arrival should be good news for Singapore hotels. What's the latest here? Yeah, so this is in the Business Times front page. If you want to pick up the details, just to give you the highlights, we are seeing quite robust demand for hotel bookings and the numbers are according to travel local data room rates are going up slightly more than 10% higher than last year's F1 weekend and already hotels are saying hey we are almost fully booked so occupancy is already pretty much there and rates are up and I think it's not just F1 you've got a slew of stuff happening this week. You've got the Forbes CEO Summit and also lots of people flying in just to catch a glimpse of you at the Milken Summit, Michelle. <laughs> Here's your five bucks, right? <laughs> Thanks for the plug. Earlier this week, we talked about how pricey some of the rooms are. The Fairmont has a good view of the track charging upwards of $1,400 a night. Panpack quoting nearly 1600 And I think it was the Ritz that had a suite going for about 4000 ish or 5000 ish uh, Do you think think Singapore hotels are currently a good investment to consider. Yeah, if you consider all the factors, it is quite compelling. You've mentioned how rates are going up. Some In some cases, $5,000 per night rooms. Wow. People are still booking it. And this is, if you consider, not even factoring the China equation or China factor yet. It's not fully reopened in terms of the travel we are used to from China. If that does come in, well, can you imagine how much more higher rates could be? And this is something we could be in for, I guess, uh, better times, even better times for hotels. And generally, you've got events coming back on track and that could only mean good news for hotels. More concerts here and more mice activities. All this is going to help support the demand for hotels and also bookings, it does look like they can pass on costs. And we know a lot of costs for businesses have been going up, labour costs, costs of everything from food and so on. And they've been able to hike prices and pass it on. I think this is one of the things to look out for if you're trying to invest in a business. Can they pass on their costs and protect their margins? And it does look like hotels can do that to some fair degree. Great point there on it still being early days for hotels given the China factor and you may want to look out for which businesses can pass on costs as an investor. If we take a look at how some hotels are faring, the Fairmont is owned by Accor. Accor shares are up 45% from the beginning of the year. The Pan Pacific is owned by UOL Group. UOL shares not doing nearly as well as Accor. UOL is down 10% over the past year. And finally, if you want to invest in a bigger portfolio of property, 
properties. CDL Hospitality Trust has 20 properties, including 18 hotels, not just here in Singapore, overseas as well. CDL Hospitality Trust shares are down 15% from the beginning of the year. I want to turn to U.S. markets now, where tech stocks came under selling pressure overnight. The Nasdaq dropped 1%, the S&P 500 down more than half a percent, while the Dow finished marginally lower. Now, one of the biggest losers was the software giant Oracle. It suffered its worst one-day performance in more than 20 years. Oracle shares fell 13.5%, even though its profits have topped expectations. Oracle's forecast, though, for how much revenue will make this current quarter appear to be weaker than expected. So when you look at the sell-off, Ryan, a 13% drop for Oracle is huge. What do you make yeah. of it? There are a couple of things playing out here. First, you have corporate headlines from Oracle. I think the wider sentiment now, you've got investors on their toes for coming out tonight, the US CPI data. And the expectations widely are for these numbers to be potentially hotter than expected. And if that does come to pass, it will halt the downward trend of price uh, price movements for the US at least. And could mean a more hawkish Fed. And that's a headwind for markets. Now, going back to some of the headlines that are steering sentiment, and I think it's also partly a case of investors selling first and asking questions later. Anything that might steer sentiment, they will just uh, take the chance to take profit. So Oracle shares down. And the story here for me is how the outlook is falling short. And partly because of people cutting back on spending. And when I mean people, I mean Oracle's customers are cutting back on IT spending in cloud because of the business pressures they are facing on other fronts. And that's leading to them saying they are more mindful of what sort of margins they will get. And they saw to some extent that playing out in the most recent quarter. And this is going to put pressure on them as they... We think their plans for the next few quarters. The sell-off has cost Oracle Chair Larry Ellison approximately 18 billion US dollars. Imagine that losing 18 billion dollars in a night. I would be up a lot of the night. He is still the world's fourth richest person, though, so he probably slept through it all. <laughs> Behind Elon Musk, Bernard Arnault, and Jeff Bezos. So I've seen several headlines this morning from writers who are still pretty bullish on Oracle shares. Barons, for example, proclaiming now is the time. To to buy into Oracle's AI potential. What do you think? It's not all doom and gloom for Oracle. We did see revenue for its cloud infrastructure growing 66%. It is still growing, but slowing Mm -hmm. from the 76% in the prior quarter. So a bit of cutback, maybe it'll be temporary. But the growth driver here is AI. And this is where Oracle has a nice play here. It's got a couple of things... That will help the AI narrative. And it has also flagged that AI development companies have signed contracts with Oracle to the tune of more than $4 billion of capacity in its Gen 2 cloud, which is double the amount it booked at the end of the prior quarter. So you've got more AI-driven companies 
growing onboard Oracle's infrastructure and with how AI is playing out, maybe even more down the quarters ahead. So something to keep an eye on. Despite the overnight plunge, Oracle shares still up 34% since the beginning of the year. So they're actually outperforming the S&P 500. A lot of that enthusiasm is due to AI euphoria. I guess one of the key questions I have in mind going forward would be, how is Oracle able to leverage artificial intelligence and how it does so? And can it quickly also monetize such projects? All right, next up, let's look at Apple. I watched a little bit of the stream of the unveiling, the much-awaited annual launch overnight of the iPhone maker. You know, it unveiled its next-generation smartphone, the iPhone 15. As we discussed yesterday, Apple is raising the price of its top-end phone. It's called the Pro Max. The entry-level iPhone 15 will cost the same as last year, starting at $799 US dollars a mirror. Ryan, aside from the price, what has caught your attention at the Wanderlust launch event? Yeah, you know the thing about the Apple events these days? You know everything before it has happened. And we've been talking about it for quite some time. So we know it got a better camera. We know it got a faster processor. We know it got a new charging system. And we know it has a new USB-C cable thing going on. And we know it also has a price hike, a $100 price hike. So people are, well... Apple believes willing to pay more this time around. So what we didn't know is what colors it will come in. And you will be able to get it in pink, yellow, green, blue, and black. Maybe even more down the road as they try to milk more money from you to have uh, new colors for you to change your phones to. But it is the iPhone 15 in four different flavors, so to speak. You've got the Pro, Pro Max, and so on. Um, so it is um, one of the things that people will be probably snapping up as they try to get hold of the first iPhone with the USB-C standard. No, mm. You don't have to beg for a different charger from your Android fa- friends anymore. So I like it because you don't have to have so many different chargers around the planet. It's quite a big cost. And by the way, Apple is selling the USB-C charger for $29. If you want an Apple USB-C charger, you can have that. And plus, you've got to complete your look. The Apple smartwatch that is now carbon neutral as much as they claim it can be. So a lot of Apple products for you to splash your cash on. Yeah, you can see it's really trying to respond to global consciousness around customer expectations and sustainability. And you mentioned the USB-C switch. So that change was not of Apple's choosing, really. It was imposed on them by European regulators. Apple dropping their proprietary lightning port, switching instead to the USB-C connector. Uh, European regulators have made the USB-C a common standard. Apple fans may not think that it is as good for me. I'm with you, Ryan. As long as there's less wires that I have to tangle with, the better. Another change is geopolitical, and this has to do with supply chains. You might say this is a legacy of COVID-19, also a result of tensions Mm. between the US and China. What is this, Ryan? Yeah, it is... uh, (laughs) I was going to say, it's going to put the eye in iPhones, and the (laughs) eye here is India. So this is where you might get made in India iPhones soon because we've been hearing about it. Apple has been quite mindful of its supply chain, especially over the past few years. And they've been diversifying, diversifying away from China to some degree for various reasons. One is supply chain issues. And also, 
India is a big market for iPhones and Apple products now. So it's got factories there. And I suppose the other angle you mentioned is politics and with how US-China tensions are going, we've heard how the Chinese government has reportedly mm. been planning to ban iPhones from government offices, even state-owned enterprises and any businesses with links to the government. So if you're a public servant, you can't use an iPhone pretty much. So that in mind is, I think, something Apple is quite cautious of where its fortunes need to um, need to go in future. So they are stepping it up in India. If I were in the tourism board of India, I would have billboards all over, you know, saying India puts the eye in iPhones. I would <laughs> steal that line from you, Ryan, in a heartbeat. Yes, for the first time, Apple is selling made in India iPhones on the day of its launch. And analysts say this is a milestone for India's electronics ambitions. Meanwhile, investors sold off Apple overnight. Apple's share price fell 1.7%. All right, let's do up or down. It is time for corporate news. So we do it game show style. First up, the Taiwanese chip giant TSMC, up or down? All right, I'm going with up for TSMC. So it wants a slice of the action when it comes to the ARM IPO. And the ARM IPO is pretty hot right now. Latest I've heard is mm. that the IPO is 10 times, at least 10 times oversubscribed. And TSMC is reportedly going to invest up to $100 million in ARM alongside some of the other big boys like NVIDIA, Apple, and Intel. So it is really drawing in quite a who's who when it comes to some of these cornerstone investors. Yeah, TSMC appears to be in investment mode. It is putting 100 million US dollars into the upcoming IPO of ARM and it's buying a stake in a nanofabrication business from Intel. So in case you're wondering, what is nanofabrication? You know, I don't like big words. Try to steer away from them as much as I can. Well, that is the design of very, very small small patterns that can be duplicated. And in all, it looks like TSMC is making smart investments related to its business. So I will give it an up. TSMC shares, by the way, are off 15% over the past quarter, but still up more than 20% from the start of the year. Next, let's look at Global Foundries. They are a company in the semiconductor space. All right, I am looking at Global Foundries opening up a plant in Singapore to the tune of $4 billion. So mm -hmm. that's good news for us. More manufacturing happening here, which is quite interesting because back in the day, many decades ago, it was really tech manufacturing supporting the Singapore economy to a large extent. We had the likes of um, some of the big disc making companies, hard drive making companies like Seagate. And now it looks like you know, things are coming almost in a way full circle. They are coming back here to make their stuff. So Global Foundries is an up for me. Up for me as well. Interesting that you mentioned we've come sort of full circle. I do remember learning about manufacturing, propping Singapore up um, years and years ago when I was a mere teenager. That was about two years ago. Uh, so I will give Global Foundries an up. The chips that Global Foundries makes, by the way, can be found in smartphones, laptops, automobiles, VRs, uh, video game consoles. The list goes on. They're basically using AI and 5G applications. That's amazing areas, right? Uh, next up, let's look at bank. Bank of America. All right. I am looking at Bank of America in the news for um, this survey they've done, a mm. global survey where they've put China property at the top of what they describe as credit risk. So they see that as the number one event to worry about. And this is, in fact, 
a more worrisome factor. In fact, it's up 33% from 15% last month. So I am going with up for that reason. More things to worry about. Love it when we disagree. So the Bank of America is expecting to make about 14 billion US dollars in net interest income. Uh, in the second half of this year, it's in line with expectations, but I look at its loan book, I think it's growing a little bit more slowly, and that's not so good news for the bank. BOA's share price, also in the red, down nearly 15% since the beginning of the year, so you have a glass half empty, half full look this morning on Bank of America. Our last entry today is EC World Reit, Ryan. All right, it is a down for me. So it owes money. It did not pay up. So that is the short story here. So the China Focus <laughs> REIT was supposed to pay up on its interest for some of its loans, but it breached the agreement and now is in the risk of having to pay up the entire amount and it could trigger across default across its other facilities. So it might need to pay up even more. And of course, if it can't pay up the first time, what are the chances it might do so for the, last, uh, for the rest of the loans? Yeah, let's take a look back at EC World. We take a step back for a minute. Their portfolio consists of e-commerce and logistics hubs in China. It clearly has cash flow problems, uh, big ones as well. EC World Reads anchor tenant is long overdue on paying the rent. And as a result, EC World is in danger of defaulting on its debt. So stay tuned for more details uh, in the next week to 10 days. But for now, this is definitely a down for EC World Read in my book. All right, our last word today, uh, we do it pop quiz style, part economics, part geography. Your question, Ryan, are you ready for it? I will try my best. Here we go. Which economy do you think is the world's fastest growing? Your All first, right. I have a clue for you. Do you want a clue or do you want to guess? Uh, okay, how much is a clue going to cost me? Uh, um, another <laughs> Twinkie. Okay, this country has oil, black ah. gold, and its oil wealth is relatively new. I am going to guess it's a company or rather a country that is um, probably something I've never heard of because I don't know which country has oil and has not been tapped on yet. So somewhere out there, yeah. a very small country, very far away from Singapore that not many people have heard of. I'll put that out there. Very, very close. Really excellent. So this country is located in the Americas. Until I read about it, I have to say that I didn't really know much about it as well. It's pretty small, as you said. Okay, quite prescient. Up near the top of the South American continent. And the answer, well, history buffs, you may recall the infamous cult called Jonestown. Jonestown was based there in the late 1970s. Now, that story did not end too well. I'll let you look that up. Um, but the answer is Guyana. So they're a small country located between Venezuela and Suriname. And its economy is set to grow at, take a deep breath, 38% this year. Wow. Thanks to massive oil deposits that were discovered just eight years ago. And Guyana has a population of just... 800,000 people. So it could soon overtake Kuwait as the richest per capita crude producer in the world. Is it time to visit Guyana? Well, 8,000, that's like a way 800,000. 800, All right, I guess it's size of around um, Topayo or Budok in that sense. Uh, no. If I was, population. If I was uh, king of Guyana, I, I'd say parties for everybody every day. <laughs> Street parties. Thank you for joining us here on Money and Me. This is Market View. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.